All right, folks. How you doing? It's your old buddy Josh. Back with... Well, back with a book that we're going to review. This is going to be something new on science fiction shorts. Usually I have a guest when I review a book, but I didn't know anybody who read Journey to the Center of the Earth by Mr. Jules Verne himself. But that's okay. I'm sure there's lots of you out there that have read it and will appreciate a good podcast on it. And you might even want to hear my thoughts on it. So that's what we're going to do. I'm sitting back, reclined a little bit more than I usually am when recording a podcast. Got my tea. I don't really like tea, but thought it would be more appropriate to drink a cup of tea late at night than coffee or a alcoholic beverage. Anyway, you guys... I really, 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 really liked this book, Journey to the Center of the Earth. This book was written in 1864, and I think it was his second book. I think I read that. It was his second book, and let me tell you, it's a classic. I give this book five out of five stars, which means it was amazing. And it really was. Um, I liked it. I want to say from the beginning to end, there's some things I can nitpick and trust me, I will. But uh, this is definitely one of the better books I've read this year. Uh, I've got a bunch of notes and we're going to talk about these notes. I'm going to be honest. I started this podcast earlier and my intention was to give a summary of the entire book, kind of a detailed summary. And it didn't work out. So we're starting over. I don't think I'm going to give a summary this time. (laughs) I mean, maybe I'll give some summary of some chapters. I don't know. We're going to just see how it goes. But um, the first thing I thought was interesting reading this book was that the main character was a German. Yeah, that's right. Mr. Frenchie McFrenchpants chooses to make the main character, Professor Liedenbach, Liedenbach? No, Liedenbrock, a German, which is kind of cool. Okay, so we start out in Germany. Uh, Mr. Professor Dude brings home this book. Look at me, I'm giving a summary. Uh, and there's some ancient runes in the book, and it's a mystery what the runes mean. Anyway, they figure it out, and actually... I have it written down right here, what they what they translate to. Descend, bold traveler, into the crater of the Jokul of Snefels, which the shadow of Scartaris touches before the Kalends of July, and you will attain the center of the earth, which I have done, Arne Saknusim. Uh, that was written in Latin, apparently, so that's why it reads kind of weird. But uh, there you have it. Apparently, if you go to this volcano in Iceland, uh, if, if you go at the right time of the year, the sun will touch this crater at the top because there's a few craters, I guess. And in that crater, you can go to the center of the earth. So they pack their bags immediately. 
Um, pretty cool setup, kind of, you know, I don't know um, if this was the first of its kind, but I definitely feel like a lot of books and movies have kind of taken this uh, trope. I'll be honest. Okay, so we we are we're introduced to the professor Leiden Brock and the main character, the the first person character of this book, uh, is his name. He's got an awesome name, Axel. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a common German name from that time period. Anyway, Axel is in love with Graben, a German name I have never heard before, but uh, apparently her name is Graben. He calls her his Virlandes, which I do not know what that means. I don't know if that's where she's from or something. Anyway, I thought for sure that she was going to accompany them on this trip. See, the book I have, it's actually a pretty cool book. Dang, the cover, dust cover is just out of my reach, but that's okay, you can't see it anyway. The cover on my version has three people. One has a light and one, and there's like this chasm and one is descending on a rope down the chasm. The other one's just kind of looking on. I thought for sure one of those persons was going to be female. And I thought there was going to be two males and a female on this trip, but I was mistaken. Graben does not end up catching up with them. She is simply a love interest and kind of Axel's reason, drive to get back home throughout this whole journey. This book is written exquisitely. And, you know, I don't know how much the translation uh, has to do with how well it's written. I want to believe that it has nothing to do with it and that Jules Verne is just an excellent author. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Uh, But this book is written very, very, I want to say romantically. I don't know. I mean, I think the 1860s was still in the romance era. But um, to me, it reads very much like the the quintessential romance novel in my mind. (laughs) People would maybe would judge me for this. I don't know, but it's the what's the real name? I'm just I'm just gonna call it Frankenstein. But it's the the monster of Doctor Frankenstein. I don't know. There's some name or isn't like Prometheus? Isn't like the Promethe? I feel like the word Prometheus is in the actual title of that book. Anyway, we're not talking about that book. I feel like that book is the the quintessential romance novel in my eyes. You know, I probably haven't read that many, so what do I know? But um, the language is just so flowery in that book, and just, I mean, I just in a million years, I couldn't write a book with the language and words and passion that is in the book Frankenstein. And anyway, I feel like this book is very similar to that. There's a lot of passion and flowery language in this book, and I loved it. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um. Professor Liedenbrock is very well, he's an awesome character because he is this savvy um, professor who is a savant. He Not only does he know geology and mineralogy, he just knows all sorts of ologies. In fact, my brother sent me a, when I told, my brother is a geologist, and when I told him I was reading this book, I was going to recommend it to him, he sent me back this text, and I quote, this home was in a large town, and my uncle, a professor of philosophy, 
chemistry, geology, mineralogy, and many other ologies. Something tells me the sentence goes on, but that's the only part of the sentence that he sent me. What's funny is, basically he was trying to tell me that he has read it, okay, and that's so he sent me that. And I kind of like laughed when I read it because I was like, oh yeah, that's a good line. Yeah, I totally remember that line. Yeah, I totally do. Well, as it turns out, I didn't because that line is not in my version of the book. Apparently, there's lots of different translations of this book. And as I just read before I started recording this, that's the bad version. (laughs) Apparently, there's an English, the first English translation, all the names were changed and all the chapters were all jumbled up and the the story was like significantly changed. And that comes from that translation. Well, apparently I have the good translation. Sorry, Jimmy, you read the wrong one. Okay. Anyway, the professor is uh, a great character. He is single-minded and determined to get to the center of the earth at all costs. Axel, the main character of the book, and we read through his perspective, is, I mean, he he's also scientific-minded, but he's much more He's, I want to, I want to say rational. Yeah, he's more rational. And also he wants to get back to his lovely Virlandes, uh, Graben. Okay. So he drags his feet a little bit. Uh, it's just a great, um, dichotomy. Uh, these two characters, I loved it. You guys, do you know this mountain Snafel? Uh, uh, I guess it's called Snafel's Jokul. I looked it up on, on the map and it's called Snafel's Jokul on the map. This mountain, this volcano in Iceland is amazing. I mean, I didn't really see any, you know, the pictures of it are, you know, okay, whatever. It's a volcano. It's a snowy mountain. But if you just look at it on the map, Iceland just has this peninsula that just sticks out. It's just like this straight arm. And at the end of this arm is just this giant volcano with a crater jutting up uh it's really kind of a cool piece of um geography and i can totally understand someone even just like looking at a map seeing that and thinking oh this is going to be an awesome part of my story (laughs) okay so we get to iceland they travel there post haste and uh, we're introduced to the third member of this team, Hans. He is an Icelander, and he only speaks Icelandic and Danish. I think the Danes may have colonized Iceland. I don't know. Uh, and so anyway, the professor is a savant and he can speak with him because he knows Danish and he knows lots of other languages too. But throughout the whole story, Axel can't really communicate with Hans. He kind of has to trans uh, communicate through professor Liedenbrock. I don't even know why I'm mentioning this, but that's a fact. Uh, one thing I will say is I thought because Hans was recommended to them by like the governor or was it the priest or something i don't know they run into some guy at iceland some high up official or something at iceland and uh he says i know just the guy to get you to snuffles and i thought for sure there was some deviousness going on there i thought maybe this guy was a spy because he's really reserved and reticent he i thought he was a spy 
and that they also there's a they they mention uh, all the things in their packs that they take with them at one point, and they bring guns. And I thought there was gonna be a shootout. I thought Hans was gonna like steal the guns and shoot out. Blah blah blah. Anyway, didn't happen. Nope. Hans is actually a really good guy. Uh, okay. You guys, one other thing. I just gotta. Well, first of all, I have to take a little sip of tea. But I just gotta say, the chapter titles in this book are absolutely atrocious. Now, if you've listened to the podcast, you will already know that I hate chapter titles. I like to be, first of all, I like to go, I like going into books completely uh, blind, which I did with this book. I just think the surprise adds a lot to my enjoyment of, of a book. And it goes the same for chapter titles. I mean, if a chapter title gives away what's going to happen in the chapter, I don't want to read it. And these chapter titles are ridiculous. They do just that. They just give away what happens. So I did my best to just not look at the chapter titles. Uh, And as it turns out, Jules Verne didn't write these chapter titles. His original writing didn't have chapter titles. So these are crap. And I suggest if you read this book you don't read the chapter titles however it is good after you've read the book to be able to look back especially if you're reporting a podcast like me uh to be able to get a good idea of what happens i'm just going to read some of these for you chapter 11 a guide found to the center of the earth i mean come on that's just, just so like it's just so blah There is one really good one. I'm going to read it right now. Chapter 24. Well said, old mole. Canst thou work in the ground so fast? That's actually Shakespeare. I had to look it up. Whoever came up with these titles was a fan of Shakespeare. Um, I mean, and and just like, you know, we're going to, I'm skipping ahead, but uh, you guys, guess what? They get shot out of volcano at the end. Okay. Like, Chapter 43, shot out of a volcano at last. And it's like, you don't know that that's going to happen at the beginning of chapter 43, okay? Unless you read the friggin' chapter titles. Anyway, okay, that's the last I'm going to complain about that. Okay, (laughs) I was just looking at my notes. There is a lot of geological discussions in this book. I mean, was Vern himself the savant? Was like he... Was 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 like Professor Liedenbrock the embodiment of Vern? I don't know. Liedenbrock is a is a savant. Vern had to have been a savant if he wrote this book and he didn't actually get a major, you know, a mass a PhD in geology because there is so many words, so many esoteric uh min- mineralogy and geological freight words that i just don't know i mean i honestly i looked up a couple of them but at some point i was just like okay whatever this guy's smarter than me felspar sienites porphyries tufa or tufaceous pumice those are some of the words i just jotted down okay you guys they're in the galleries. He loves using the word gallery for like hall or just path. Cause basically they're just 
trodden down this path to the center of the earth. Um, at some point, they're dying of thirst. And Hans is like, somehow he always just has strength reservations that the other two don't have, okay? So the other two are like dying of thirst. And Hans goes on ahead in search of water. And he finds water behind a wall of rock. And so he has to chip away until water sprays out. Kind of seems like a bad idea, but you're dying of thirst, right? I understand. And they think at first that they want to patch it back up, right? I mean, that seems like a good idea to me. But then they think, well, wait a minute. We don't know if we're going to encounter water any other time in this journey. So why don't we just let it keep spraying and it will create this little stream for us. We can just follow the stream. Now we know which path to take because I guess because the water will take the quickest path down and we'll always have water. I mean, yeah, I guess if you don't know you're going to find water, I guess that's what you got to do. But it just seems like, no, that hole's going to like keep getting bigger and bigger, won't it? And it's or it's going to drain like the, 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 the lake above it. I don't know where the water is coming from. And it's just going to fill up where they're going. I don't know. It just seemed like a bad idea to me. But they do it, and it works out for them. Uh, the, they named the they named the river they created the Hansbach after Hans. I don't know if Bach means river or something, but that's what it's named. You guys, this, this book gets really crazy, really crazy, real fast when they get to the sea. Thalata, Thalata. That's what like some Greek army shouted when they got to the sea. And that's the title of this chapter. Uh, there's an ocean or a sea under the earth, which they encounter. I've seen some books and some books have like a, a, a scene on, on a sea and they're on a raft and there's like two dinosaurs fighting each other. <laughs> so I kind of had that in my mind. I kind of knew I was going to get into some crazy stuff. Anyway, yep, there's an ocean. In fact, he makes a he makes a a funny joke. He calls it the Mediterranean Sea or something like that because it that's that's more of an apt name for this sea than the actual Mediterranean Sea. Get it? Like Middle Earth Mediterranean. <laughs> kind of funny. Okay. They make mention Often, once they get to this sea, because as you'll find out in a second, because I'm going to tell you right now, there's like dinosaurs down there and fossils. Uh, this area apparently is from a past, a, a, a bygone era. And um, they make mention of Cuvier a lot. That's the last name of a gentleman. You may not have heard of him. If you're into paleontology, you may have heard of him because he apparently is the father of paleontology. So they make mention of him a lot in this book. Um, by the way, my book, each chapter had an image, like a drawing. And it was the same drawing. It's just like this. It's not an icon. It's a drawing. And I didn't know what it was when I started it, and I still don't know what it is after finishing it. Kind of weird. I mean, I have to imagine that this drawing is a fossil. It, it's not a trilobite, but if you know what a trilobite looks like, 
it kind of looks similar to that. Imagine like a trilobite, which is like this prehistoric bug thing. I don't know. Imagine if a trilobite made love to an acorn. That's what this looks like. Go figure. Kind of a cool icon, but I just, there's just no explanation of what it is. Drawing, not icon. Okay. You know how I said that this was a, like a romance novel, not in the sense of like lovey-dovey, but just very uh, flowerly, uh, very flowery language. Well, I'm going to read a passage that I jotted down. Well, I just captured it with like, what's it called? OCR, optical character recognition, when you just take a picture of it with your phone and then it converts it to text. Uh, this is, this is a scene when they're on that sea. I don't know what they actually call that sea. It's not the Mediterranean, but anyway, uh, Axel is just tripping. He is having a daydream, a, a major daydream. Like people think he's sick, that he's, he's just kind of going crazy. Okay. Anyway, this is what he says. He says, And I myself am floating with wild caprice in the midst of this nebulous mass of 1,400,000 times the volume of the earth, into which it will one day be condensed and carried forward among the planetary bodies. My body is no longer firm and terrestrial. It is resolved into its constituent atoms, subtilized, volatilized, sublimed into imponderable vapor. I mingle and am lost in the endless floods of those vast globular volumes of vaporous mists, which roll upon their flaming orbits throughout infinite space. But is it not a dream? Whither is it carrying me? My feverish hand has vainly attempted to describe upon paper its strange and wonderful details. I have forgotten everything that surrounds me. The professor, the guide, the raft are all gone out of my ken. An illusion has laid hold upon me. So that's him tripping, tripping on what he's seeing. I mean, he uh, almost fell off into the raft. (laughs) Uh, The strong arm of Hans saved him from doing that. Uh, A plesiosaurus, which if you don't know, is think Loch Ness Monster or Nessie from Mario 64. Yeah, are you with me? Uh, a plesiosaurus and a ichthyosaurus, which also, if you don't know, think alligator dolphin. Uh, yep, those exist down there, and they have a big fight by the raft. Luckily, they don't get eaten. Uh, crazier than that, this is like the craziness, the craziest this book gets. I think think this is the craziest. Well, I don't know. They do get shot out of a volcano. They find a caveman in this underground world. How about that? Yep, they find a caveman. So that's fun. Okay, there's a chapter in this book. What's the chapter name? I don't know. I'm going to find out right now because I love it so much. Even though Mr. Vern didn't write these chapter titles, I still want to know what it's called. It's called preparations for blasting a passage to the center of the earth. Wow, what a thoughtful name. You guys, this chapter is great because this, um, is it the apex? I don't know. It's hard to say what the apex of this incredible 
incredibly crazy, insane journey is. I want to say this might be the apex, though, because basically they find this, they find uh, a grotto. By the way, they love using, he loves using gallery. I guess, you know, I guess this is the translator who loves using the word. They love using gallery for like hallway, and they love using grotto for cave. They find this grotto that, and I didn't, did I mention, I don't remember if I mentioned Arne, yeah, I did, I read the passage, uh, Arne Sacknusum, that's that's the guy who wrote the runic uh, mystery. They find a blade, and they uh, and and then they find on the wall, scratched with the blade, like, this way to the center of the earth, or something like that, okay? And so they're freaking out. They're like, oh, this is how we finally get to the center of the earth. Because by the way, at this point, they're like nowhere near the center of the earth. This this book is winding down. This book is like five-sixths of the way through. And they're nowhere near the center of the earth. They've gone like, I don't know how many leagues below the surface. But it's just like they've gotten maybe into the crust or maybe through the crust. Like, like the skin on an apple, okay? Anyway, they finally find this cave that is the passage to the end of the earth, but it's blocked. And they're thinking like, oh, it wasn't blocked when Arne did it 200, 300 years ago, but it's blocked now. What do we do? Well, guess what, you guys? They brought those guns. They don't have the guns anymore. They lost them. But guess what? They still got the gunpowder. So they're going to blow this shit to smithereens. It's like, it's, it's crazy because the whole time, Axel, like I said earlier, he's dragging his feet. He wants to get back to Graben. But when he sees this cave and and that it's blocked by this big rock, he goes crazy. He 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 all of a sudden has more drive than Professor Liedenbrock to get to the center, center of the earth. It's like he'll do anything to get there. And I just love that change that overtakes him. He gets like greedy. He gets crazy. He begs for the honor to be the one who lights the fuse to this bomb they create, okay? And uh, he does it, and what ends up happening is it creates a blast so big. They're like on their raft, and it creates a raft, a blast so big that creates this big old wave, and they get sucked down this hole. And they're riding on this raft, on this river down down to the center of the earth for like hours and hours. Mouth is dry. Let me take another drink. And, you know, this is another kind of part that I don't know if it's just not described well by Vern or if the translation loses something or if I'm just stupid and I don't really understand it very well. But I think what I remember reading what ends up happening is at some point they've been they go underwater. Okay, and then they come back out of water. And what I think that represents is them getting to the center of the earth, right? Because gravity, if you're if you're in the center of the earth, you would be floating, right? Because all the gravity is kind of pointing toward that point. So what I think happened is all their water filled up at that point into a ball, and then they shoot through it. But then that doesn't make sense because the water would have the same velocity as them, right? For that to happen, the water would have had to been there for a while already. I don't know. I don't get it, you guys. Anyway, like I said, kind of ill-described, but I'm pretty sure that's what happens. And then they fly through it, 
And at some point they realize then that they're on a dried lava bed that's continually rising, (laughs) okay? And they surmise that they're going to be shot out uh, through a volcano. Now, here's the weird thing, you guys. Here's the weird thing. They end up being shot out of a volcano in Italy, okay? Iceland to Italy. Now, by the way, I was really interested in where they were going to be shot out. I I just, I I started guessing places. I kind of was settling on Hawaii. I thought they might get um, shot out of Hawaii. That's kind of like not completely opposite point of the earth, but it's definitely further away than Italy, let me tell you. They even, uh, Axel even thinks maybe that once they do get shot out, that they might be in some Indonesian island which he says the word, which is the antipode of Iceland. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, It also corroborates with how they went through what I imagined to be that ball of water, and they just kept going. You just keep going on that same path. Uh, But as it turns out, no, Italy. So how how does that happen? How do they fall to the center of the earth and then fall out the other side in Italy? That's not even very far away. That's... Uh, that would be a cord of a circle, not uh, not like splitting it in half. I don't know, you guys, kind of weird. But um, I'll say I'll say this: of the entire book, if I have to critique, uh, you know, it's like whatever. I don't it, that 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 detail doesn't really matter to me. But what I'm saying is, of the entire book, if I had to critique poorly a part of the book, it would kind of be that volcano um, scene. It just kind of felt like maybe a little bit rushed, like, uh-oh, you guys, how are we going to end this book? I don't know. They got to get to the center of the earth somehow. So in the last sixth of the book, let's just drop them down to the middle and then shoot them up through a volcano at the end. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, it was fun. But I thought I, I did think that that part kind of dragged a little bit and, and at the same time was a little bit too fast. So... the um, I don't even know if I want to mention this, but there was some confusion as to, I'm going to, I should just stop. I'm going if you guys have read the book, I want to describe the situation with the electric ball that changes the poles of the compass they were using, which makes them think that they were on a, an a western coast when in fact they were on an eastern eastern coast or something weird like that <laughs> but i'm not even going to get into that that was supposed to be the the big mystery the the um the um what's that literary device called you guys it's like the simplest word in the world but i can't think of it right now <laughs> the twist that's what i was thinking of that was the twist okay but I don't know. It was an okay twist. All right, you guys. Um, That's Journey to the Center of the Earth. And like I said, it was a great book. But you know what's also cool? This book I have, you know, you can get this book for free online. It's in public domain. But what you won't have is an appendix at the end called Questions, Questions, Questions by Arthur Pober. Uh, I don't know. I have not read these questions, but apparently this book wants you to think about 
uh, this this publication wants you to kind of think about the book that you just read. I don't know if students would read these, would use these as like theses or something, but we're going to see what they're all about. Uh, since I don't have a guest to talk about this book, maybe this will kind of start some discussion. Let's see, some discussion with myself. Let's see what the first one is. The first one is, why does Axel decide to reveal the secret of the manuscript to his uncle? Do you think this was a wise decision? What would you have done in this position? Okay, these are starting out bad, you guys. That's a dumb question. I don't know the answer to it, though. I know Axel doesn't want to reveal the secret because he just knows that Professor Liedenbrock is going to make him go on this journey. Let's see what the next one is. That's a dumb question. Why does Grobin encourage Axel to go on the trip? Have you ever been told that you had to go somewhere you didn't want to go? How did it turn out? Okay, these questions are for like three-year-olds. Here's the third one. On their way to Snaffel, Axel and his uncle stay with a large family where they have a strange meal of dried fish in rancid butter and clotted milk with biscuits. Would you be willing to eat such a meal? What is the strangest thing you have ever eaten? This was a mistake, you guys. But I will say the strangest thing I've ever eaten, guinea pig. Yup. I was in Ecuador, you guys. Ecuador. Okay. I'm just going to keep going because I feel like it. Four. Axel tries every argument he can to change his uncle's mind about the trip, but the professor is determined to explore Snaffel. Why do you suppose he is so determined? Have you ever done something that others tried to talk you out of? This is so lame, but I go, I go on for some reason. The farther the companions travel, the more worried Axel becomes, until at last he cannot sleep. Have you ever been in a situation that caused you to lose? This is so stupid. Number six, when Axel tells the professor that they will soon run out of water, the professor questions his courage. Why do you suppose he does this? Do you consider yourself a courageous person? Nope, not going not gonna to keep going on with this. Uh, these questions make it seem like this book is for children. But you guys, this book is not for children. I mean, sure, children would love this book. I would have loved this book had I read it when I was a child. But this is an absolutely, like, this can totally... Uh, am I a child, you guys? <laughs> Maybe I am. <laughs> but I love this book. You guys, I have two more. Well, actually, technically three more. Jules Verne books. Uh, before, by the way, if you listened to the previous episode, you would know that we read a short story by either Jules Verne or it was his son. Uh, but before I read that, I had already purchased from eBay a book called A Trip to the Moon and Around the Moon by Jules Verne. Two books in one. It's an omnibus. Can't wait to read that. And just today, I went to the used bookstore and I bought 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea. The books I bought are awesome hardcovers. They come with slipcases, which is super cool. <laughs> um, and I can't wait to read them. Anyway, this was a great book. I can't wait to read more Jules Verne. I'm very impressed by this guy. Uh if you haven't read this book, I highly recommend reading it. I hope I didn't spoil it for you. Most people don't care about spoilers, so you probably don't care about that. 
And with that being said, I'm going to take one more sip of this tea. It was loose leaf tea. I don't know what it is. My wife gets all the tea. I just drink it every once in a while. And I'm going to wrap this up and watch the Warriors game, which is being recorded right now because the Warriors don't suck anymore. So that's fun. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Let me know what you think about the book or Jules Verne in general. Tell me if I should watch the movie because I know there's a movie. I think it starred The Rock. Probably shouldn't. I don't usually like overwriting the memories I generated in my mind while reading a book with the movie. But hey, I watched Dune and Dune is very dear to my heart. Dune was a good movie, you guys. I mean, there's some things I could critique about that. Should I do a podcast on Dune? I don't know. Anyway, loved the movie. Already watched it twice in the theater. You guys, I got to end this at some point. I'm just going to press stop now. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 